Hello, and welcome back to the Public Health Ivy podcast. Hope you're having a great time of day and in the most comfortable space while listening in. On this episode of the Beyond the Ribbon series, I had the pleasure of chatting with another good friend, Taja Stancil. Taja is a brilliant chemistry professional who has watched her mom's journey with breast cancer from a bird's eye view. Listen in as she talks about how the journey of outliving her mother has impacted her own growth and knowledge. I I haven't scheduled a day off like in a long time. So I was like, you know what, let me just let me just throw in a free day. I really don't have anything to do, but I just need 24 hours of not working. And you know what? Sometimes those free days are the best days because we just just get back and it's like, okay, I can breathe. I turn everything off. I'm good now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, and like there were some family things going on. So I actually ended up with my little sister today, um, which has been a thing of his own. (laughs) (laughs) You know, she, she likes to test me. She be judging my driving. <laughs> Sounds like my niece. Yeah. She's like, you gonna slow down on that corner? Ma'am, do you have a license? <laughs> Where's your license in your car before we start talking about that part? That that part. Look, the teenagers just think they have it all figured out. And I'm like, you know what? Was I this bad when I was a teenager? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you know, I think for us, we didn't have like technology snitching on us. So like very valid. I feel like we probably were just as bad, but there was no evidence of it. You know what? That's true. Even throughout college, because by the time we were halfway through college, Snapchat just came about. Yeah. Like Facebook and Twitter, all that stuff really started jumping off like by the time we were like halfway done. So we just don't have any evidence of our shenanigans. Um, But her generation, I had to snatch her phone at like 1.30 this morning. (laughs) And it's like when we were kids, we were up on the phone, but it was our house phone. So like if, yeah. if our mom picks up the phone, it's like, what are you doing on the phone? Like, Yeah. And so like, I'm sitting there, I'm just like, what is that noise? And she's just the hee hee hee. And I'm just like, who are you giggling with at 1.30 in the morning? Sister I was like, I'll take have life too. Look, sister got to have a life too. She said. She's barely a freshman. I said, run me that phone. <laughs> She said, I have a social life too, sister. Okay. It's not just you. It's me as well. Yeah. Um, I, I can't with her. But yeah, we made it. We made it. <laughs> we made it. Um, so if you're ready to go ahead and get started, we can go ahead and get started. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little about, you know, yourself um name age all of those things and then we'll get right into it okay so my name is Taja and I'm 33 okay um and what can I say about myself other than the fact that like I'm a chem nerd I just I usually just start with that chemistry nerd all of that stuff and I think a lot of that has to do with my mom and right. kind of getting me into that career path but yeah so when did you find out um about you know being at an elevated risk so I found out actually earlier this year like okay. I 
back in January, um, for a long time, I had put off the genetic counseling and doing all those extra steps because I just emotionally wasn't in the place to deal with the results. Um, I had been going through therapy and all of that. And I, through therapy, I recognized that there was a lot about my mother's death that I hadn't confronted, like Mm -hmm. just in the grieving process. Mm -hmm. So even getting into like genetic counseling and all of that stuff, I wasn't ready to face like whatever the results would be. Um, And so finally, earlier this January, I was at the doctor's office and we were in there just for like a physical. And I was like, she asked me again, you know, hey, do you want to do the genetic counseling? And she was like, all I got to do is take a blood sample right now. I said, fine. You... <laughs> I like, right, I'm here anyway. Let's just do it. I was like, just, just go ahead and take the sample. So she went ahead and took the sample. Um, and I got the results back. And when we went through the results of the genetic counselor, is when we started talking about like um, the Tyler Cruzic score and all of that. And as I did my own research, I was like, oh, okay. So this is legitimately a thing. Um, and so even when she started talking about like what, you know, my plan looks like in terms of like prevention, she's like, you know, that's mammograms and, you know, MRI every six months. And I was like, whoa, wait, what? Right. She's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, we have, that's part of it. Um, and I was like, okay, all right. So this is, this, this is reality. So it's yeah. your new normal that you yeah. were like thrown into. Um, yeah. So was there a gene mutation detected like BRCA1, BRCA2 or? Um... So that was like the even weirder part because they, they didn't detect um, a mutation in BRCA1 and BRCA2, but due to my family history, because it's not just my mom, it was her sister. It, um, and then my first cousin, who as recently as January 2019, um, and then that's just their cousin. So my mom, my aunt, their cousin, um, that same aunt, her daughter, which is my first cousin. And then even before that, our great aunt, which was like my grandmother's sister. Mm-hmm. And that's just the women. There's also been a prevalence of like prostate cancer on the men's side. Right. So they were like, yeah, we didn't detect anything, but there's obviously something in the pool. <laughs> right. That isn't right. So. And then because you mentioned, you know, being 33 and, you know, doing therapy. And I think that's like a new, new playing field for us as, you know, millennials and whatnot and healing our own selves. Um, how did that feel for you? Because you said like you weren't ready you know, to confront other things. Um, And now here you are being faced with, okay, do I just take the blood test? Am I ready now? So like, how did that process feel for you? Um, That process was definitely a difficult one um, because a lot of, I realized that with my mom's death, a lot of it just centered around just like, why her? Like, what, like, why? You know, like she she was like really young. Like my mom was 33. So even now when I live my day to day, I'm just like, at this age, my mom was preparing like for her end of life. Like that's still mind blowing to me. And it still messes me up some days when I get up and I'm just like going about my routine. And it's just like, okay, I'm going to work. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I don't have to think about 
what's going to happen to my children or make those plans or anything like that. So that process was like really difficult. And I think I finally had to, for myself, move past the space of why, because that answer was never, it was never going to come. And whatever answer did come just wouldn't satisfy it like wouldn't that feel in good the enough. child. Yeah, it, it would never feel good enough. Um, so for me, it moved past like the why into how can I make sure that I'm around for my children? What do I need to do to make sure that they'll never have to experience this if I can help it? Like if there's, what are the preventions? So finally I was just like, okay, like it's, it's now or never, I'm going to do it. I have, cause I also have a sister who's never had a mammogram. Right, because she's scared to death. And I was just like, okay, one of us is going to have to. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> going to have to cross the bridge. Somebody's <laughs> going to have to cross the bridge. Um, so I was like, I'll, I'll do it. Um, and also to like show her and to help her kind of ease her own fears in doing so. And uh, I recently talked about this with Vanessa, who's also um, at risk. Her mother, you know, just like yours, uh, battled up until, you know, they they were ready uh, to transition. Um, and we had a conversation around how mammograms are marketed to us as women as you go when you're 40. So being mm-hmm. younger than 40, advocating for yourself to go get a mammogram sometimes is hard. It was it was so hard in the beginning because I started actually started like my first time again, I want to say it was like probably like mid 20s. Um, and even then, like the first time I went in, there was just like, no. And I was like, you don't understand. Like, I, I think I should get a mammogram. Um, and they were like, why? So I explained like, you know, about my mom and they were like, even then, I don't feel like they took me as seriously until I actually broke down the specifics of like how young she was, how aggressive her cancer was, um, and just the extended family history too of like her sister and their cousin. Um, so it's just like, I, I think I should get a mammogram. So after that, um, it definitely took some rounds of like, it was really scary, I will say, to speak up for myself and advocate for myself to say, I. I think I should get a mammogram. Right. Like I want a mammogram. Like I even that I had to move from past thinking to actually just saying I want a mammogram because I, I want to be sure. Um, and even now when I go to a new doctor and I do like the patient history, like I make sure to put all of that in there too, because I know that makes a difference when they're reviewing everything and then they're like, okay, so have you had the genetic counseling and all that stuff? And I come with all my paperwork, like, <laughs> you know, here are the results of the testing right. and yeah, all of it in black and white. Um, but yeah, it wasn't easy like advocating for it because it is geared towards women that are 40 or older. And sometimes you don't even know your risk. You just think, oh, well, you know, my mom had it, but I don't think that directly affects me. And it's like, well, right. yes, it does because how old was she? And, you know, when I tell people like 33 and they're like, well, how long was she? did she battle? It's like, I'd say roughly two years. So that means roughly around 31 was when she found out. She she found out. And I think that like this day and age, women are getting younger. Like Mm -hmm. I remember graduating college and there was a 
uh, peer in college. Like this is 2010, we're like early 20s. She's battling breast cancer as a college grad, like less than 25 years old. And it's just like, what? And even more recently, a lion sister of mine, just again, early 30s. Like this is something that I think, especially as black women, like you have to, you have to advocate for yourself. Right. And I think that's where um, I like wanted to have this conversation with, you know, women who are at risk or women who are currently battling and currently surviving, because like you said, as a black woman, when we take into account, like just medical racism and all of those things, Mm -hmm. we're severely unheard um, as is. Um, and being at that intersection of woman and black, it can make it really, really difficult. Um, so when you throw in an age marker as well, like 40, like you said, now the cases are starting to get younger and younger. So um, how do we advocate for ourselves as a community um, that we're preaching primary prevention and early detection is best? But if someone is coming in and saying, hey, I feel something or I just want it done, can I get it done? They're getting ignored and getting denied. Um, so like, as a community, what can we do to make sure that our voices are getting heard so that way we can live full and whole lives, you know? Yeah, and that's, that's a really difficult question to answer because I feel like I've always seen, you know, the community drives of like, hey, we're doing mammogram screenings today, come in, come by. Um, And it also starts a lot with like just self-education, like noticing like the signs, right? Because sometimes, sometimes it may not even be a lump, sometimes it's just like discharge or, um, you know, depending on how dense your breasts are, like you don't, you may be fully like unaware. So one of the things that I definitely did before I even started advocating for myself was kind of learning the signs, learning, um, even doing the self exams of like, it's really weird, but it's like, I'm, I'm most familiar with my breasts than anyone I know. You, and <laughs> like, you have to be that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like, it's like, Todd, are you holding your breast? Yes. Leave me alone. Okay. We're getting acquainted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like just really making yourself educated and then when you're going into the you know doctor's offices um being really adamant like it's just really adamant as a community one thing that really helped me was I kind of I did switch my care team over to um the melanin <laughs> folks understand um that that helped um a lot and just it's really hard because they're they're really stuck on that 40 benchmark. But I'm like, you're looking, I feel like they're looking at one population of saying, okay, the average age is 40. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, even that gene, you know, BRCA1, BRCA2 is commonly found in a certain population. So it's just like, this, it really isn't a universal standard for how to address this issue because granted black women are you know compared to white women are less likely to be diagnosed but we're more likely to die from it right so I I feel a lot of that centers around access and treatment and health equity um 
So it's, I really wish I knew a way that like as a community, we could have more black women that are made more aware um, of the risk, the hidden risk of breast cancer, but there's just, it's so much, so much to fight through. And, and like I you said, it's like that, right? Yeah, that racism that's right at the front. <laughs> and I think a lot of that also, um, when you talk about access and health equity, um, includes cultural competency, because like you mentioned, you got your blood tests and they put you in, you know, the genetic uh, peer group counseling group. Uh, but how did that even look and how did that feel? Like were everyone in the group, were they close in age? Did they look like you? Did you feel like the conversations were culturally beneficial to you or it was just like cookie cutter blanket statements and here's what you do? Um, I think the actual counseling portion of it, of like going through the family history was very much like cookie cutter. Um, she did give some resources at the end in terms of like, you know, other women who have elevated risk, but it didn't feel like culturally, like for me, it was very much generic, like, hey, this is where you can go and learn about, you know, more information and all of that stuff. And I was just like, yeah, thank you. Um, but again, like if I hadn't stopped and taken the time, then all of this would have been like lost on me. And I even think about my mom, like my mom was working roughly two jobs when she got sick. Um, and I often say all of the time that like, I personally feel like my mom didn't notice for a while because she was just too busy being a mom. Yeah. Like a single mother at that. Like, so it's, the cultural competency is very much lacking when we talk about genetic counseling and just like the access and being made aware that like a lot of moms a lot of like we don't have the time like it's sad to say but like where do you find the time right and when we talk about access it's okay we can bring it to you but like you said the time factor of okay we bring it to you if you're a single mom of two kids it's not a matter of oh I don't want to go to this class right now but where am I gonna take my kids while I go to this class? Um, you know, what can we provide for them? Because now it's a matter of, I wanna learn, but my kids safety as well. Yeah, and my my session, it was one-on-one with a genetic counselor. We scheduled my session at like 6 a.m. because that was, I was like, this, this is the only time I can give you right. today where I can sit down and talk to you like in depth like about my family history just to even move forward like with the testing right so um I want to ask you how does it feel now living because you said your mom passed at the age that you are now so how does it feel um knowing that there is a risk there um but actively choosing to honor her in living your life and trying to find that balance of a good care team that won't make you feel like you're going crazy if you bring concerns <laughs> to them. 
if I'm if I'm making sense, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the finding the care team was probably the most difficult, especially after a pandemic. Um, well, correction, we're still in the panorama. Absolutely, um, still in the pepperoni people. We are here. <laughs> we are here. Um, and just like, you know, you know a lot of doctors catch up with like the backlog of like starting with like the critically ill patients and even, you know, making their way through. So, you know, even this year going through trying to find, um, you know, a black care team was really hard. And like a lot of the, a lot of the appointments that I made were made like two to three months in advance. <laughs> Of like, I'm like, you know, I hope I'm, I hope I'm not dying because I won't see this person until September. Right. And it's like July, <laughs> you know? Um, but also like going through the motions, like when I went earlier this year to get my mammogram and to do all of that stuff, um, even like, as I sat there, like behind the curtain, like waiting, it was like a thing of just to feel like mixed emotions mm -hmm. because it was like, okay, we're doing this. We're doing our part. Like, this is how we honor your mom by making sure that we're healthy. We're getting checked. You know, we're, we're living the life that she could not live. And that's not even limited to just like my career or anything like that, but it's just like the access to, to healthcare that she didn't have, you know, like just taking advantage of all of these resources. Um, but also at the same time, there's a heaviness there because it's just like the, the what ifs. It's like, you know what, if this time, like in this century in 20, you know, 2021, her disease now, like would the outcome have been different? Cause yeah. when she was diagnosed, it was 1997. So a lot of treatments were, were fairly new and fairly like, you know, ramping up. And so there's always that heaviness of like, like a missing piece of like, man, I just wish you could have seen this, seen that. Um, but then also, like I said, there's an honor in knowing that like, I'm, I'm doing due justice. I'm not wasting the gift that, you know, God gave her to give to me. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but it's, it's, it's always a mixed emotions and even like tomorrow's her birthday. And so I plan to like, weather the weather is nice because Maryland weather um is a little bipolar but <laughs> if, if the weather um obliges her favorite thing to do was like to go out to the park and read a book um yeah and like it's like okay well if weather if it permits we're gonna go out we're gonna grab a book and we're gonna post up at the park and just like be still and just honor the life that she did leave right um but yeah it's it's an up and down roller coaster turning 33 this year was full disclosure like I just sat up in my bed at 12 a.m and cried and yeah. like my sister had gone through it before I did and even as my sister was approaching my sister's 37 now but as mm -hmm. she was approaching 33 like she was going through these weird emotions and I couldn't understand it then like like why like I get it but I didn't get it I'm like what right. are you okay but now having like having to go through it myself is like okay I, I feel it now yeah like most definitely yeah um no. and then we talk about um and by we I mean you know the general populace 
of Breast Cancer Awareness Month in October and the pink ribbons and the pomp and circumstance. <laughs> yeah. Um, how does that, what does that feel like for you once October 31st is gone? That it's suddenly this huge highlight on the month of October for breast cancer and fighter survivors at risk, wear your pink ribbons and all of that. Um, but you have to continue living your life past October 31st and yeah. prior to October 1st. Um, and also having your mom's birthday in the month of October. So how does that feel for you um, outside of October? Because I think a lot of that gets lost on a lot of people. You know, they put on their pink ribbon once a month and they're like, yes, I'm a supporter. But outside of that, there's no conversation there. Yes, there's no conversation. Um, one thing that like I had to do, because even like for me, I used to get like really wrapped up in October, right? I used to be pinked out. Um, but then I started paying attention to the fine print and some of the organizations I was supporting um, and, you know, like paying attention to their tax records, okay? Because where are the coins going? <laughs> um, <laughs> And so now for me, I can say like with October, when I see people supporting um, and then maybe like November 1st comes and I don't say anything at all. I just, I take it for what it is. Thank you for helping raise, <laughs> bring attention to it. Right. Um, but as for me, it's just like this, I know this is 365. So we're going to continue 365 and I can't share my story without sharing my mom's story and so I'm like I'm always going to give her testimony whether it's you know September 1st or November 1st like y'all gonna hear it right <laughs> okay because this this woman did not lose her life in vain um but yeah it, I will say like the what is it like fill the tatas or yeah, that, save the tatas and yeah for a long time and even more recently I guess now as I'm like waking up just I'm like when did we start sexualizing breast cancer like can can we turn that down a notch right because there I watched my mom go through it um I watched her lose her hair I watched her lose both her breasts Okay, like I remember the ambulance showing up in the middle of the night because she couldn't breathe. Like I remember all of that. There was zero sexy about it. Right. Um, so that's probably like my, I will say if it's anything about October, that is like my biggest pet peeve. It's like save the tatas or, you know. that. Uh, it takes away <laughs> from the person. It just like, yeah. it's, it's like commodification of their body versus them. Right. And there's like, and watching my mom battle, and like I said, lose all these features that made her distinctly like, I guess, woman by society standards, but still carry her womanhood and her femininity without it. I'm just like, we can do without the, the Save the Tata campaigns. And let's just focus on the person. Right. Right. Because their their life is shifting. They're having, they're having to go through that mental, like, challenge of I, I'm losing everything that kind of makes me woman right? right and now I have to walk in this in this newly defined femininity so right 
Yeah, I, I don't like it. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, because especially now in our society that's learning and growing every day, um, we have to check the way that we talk about it because someone who's now affected by breast cancer may not even identify as a woman. They may identify mm -hmm. as a different pronoun, um, a different sex, gender, and that's okay. But if we're talking about saving the person, which is the messaging and primary prevention yeah. and all of that, uh, we definitely need to take a step away, a huge step away from the sexualization of it. Um, and now it, that now has me thinking of, hmm, pink and how pink is usually tied to one side, but I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole right now because <laughs> I can and, and I'll be like, wait, should we change the color now? And yeah, so I'm not gonna go. Yeah, down. like it gets, it, and that's another thing too, like even with like the, you know, the pink, um, men get breast cancer as well. Right. And we're not even talking about those who may not naturally identify as men, but like just men in general, like those who like literally biologically identify as male are also prone to breast cancer. And so when you're like save the tatas as a man who may be battling breast cancer, who number one, your your mental state is probably all already right like that because you're like, Lord, how? This is doing um, cancer. <laughs> yeah. And now you're surrounded by like pink and save the tatas and all that stuff. And you're just like, I always wonder like, you know, in this month, a lot of emphasis is made on women, which I understand, but also just like, man, what happens to those men right. who are also affected by this disease? I never thought about that. Never thought about that. Hmm. But I definitely think it's something that as a whole within the healthcare field, we should definitely start thinking about in the public health uh, field, we should start thinking about more because even though it's rare, the possibility is still there. And mm -hmm. when you're talking about the wellness of a person and the wholeness of a person, their mental state and their mental health falls <laughs> into that. So if everything around them, like you just said, the messaging is save the tatas, well, as a man, I'm not attached to my breasts. I now just was told I'll have cancer. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we—that's my thing. We can just dial back that verbiage a little bit. Um, even now, I just put emphasis on like the ribbon, um, or like I'll you know post different resources that I know that people can donate where they actually like exclusively use the funds for the research right? Um, and things like that. The, there are some other organizations, we don't know her, we don't. <laughs> we <laughs> and that is a conversation I also have with Vanessa and bless her heart, but yeah. We don't know her. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things that unless we start talking about it more openly and honestly, um, that 
people will truly feel that they're doing their due diligence and they're helping because you see it everywhere, Target, Walmart, the grocery store, gas stations. Like, oh, I, I know that organization. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, in um, grad school, I interned for this organization called the National Foundation for Cancer Research here in DC. And they operated on a very lean staff. And that was because they wanted, of course, like most of their donations to go to like their cancer research. And they had about maybe eight or 10 like scientists that were within their program. And literally between these scientists is where they sent out like the money they received like for donations. And so when people would ask me like, oh, well, where do I donate? Like I'm gonna donate to this place. I'm like, ah, ah. or you can, <laughs> you can donate, donate over here. here. Because I've, I've worked there and I can actively speak to the fact that, you know, I literally they, their staff is juggling like multiple roles because they on purpose want to keep a lean office right. so that all of their focus is on their scientists and that their scientists get the funds that they need to continue their research. Right. Um, so I was like, don't just be swayed by, you know, just because it's pink, I'm supporting. And it says, oh, we're going to give 10 cents you know, towards breast cancer research. Okay, that's 10 cents on this item that probably cost them 50 to make. <laughs> um, cost them half so, of that to make. And so the other profit is just going like it's, yeah. Yeah. So like just, just read the fine print. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, if you had to give a message to, you know, someone in your age bracket or even younger than you that's in the same space that, you know, you found yourself in a couple of years ago leading up to now of, okay, I'm just going to jump the gun and I'm going to go ahead and find this information out. Um, what message would you give them? Oh, oh. What message would I give them? Um, I would tell them that if they're holding on to the why of it all, um, to let that go first and foremost. And that's not to say that it's, to dismiss but I say that it's not important or that it doesn't matter but the why holding on to it will ultimately like it will destroy you right it will because even even for myself um literally the path that I was on of like holding on to that why affected all of my relationships around me where I couldn't make like meaningful connections because in the back of my mind there was always that question mark of like okay so if I do you know I do this I fall in love I do whatever um will it be gone tomorrow like am I a walk like is there a walking time bomb is it, you know like all of that um and as scary as it is the, there is a piece that comes behind it when you know for sure um and even like in my circumstance, thinking about my mom, thinking about my cousins and my aunt and all of that, um, it's also not, even if the answer of my, of my exam had been, yes, you, 
you do carry mutation. It's not a death sentence because there are still a lot of factors that go into into it, like your environment, like what you eat, like all, there's so much more that goes into it. But this gives you a, blu a blueprint of where to start in your prevention methods, right? Because um, if you're doing less, you definitely want to do more. And if you're doing more, keep doing more. Like don't, right. you know, don't, don't change up now, you're doing good. <laughs> don't change it now, you're doing good. Um, but like it's, for me, the, the piece that came behind it was something that I did not expect. Um, because I'm like, no, I didn't get my why, but also I now like understand how like moving forward, how to protect and take care of myself. And that contributes to like me as a whole person, right? Um, so yeah, definitely I would tell them it's not a death sentence. Don't focus on the why, just maintain the how. Like once you have this information, how now am I going to like maneuver through these spaces knowing this information and using the resources that are available to me because there are so many of them out there. Um, so yeah, just lose the why and <laughs> just, just right. do it. Just live, I think. Just live. Yeah. Yeah. So how yeah, yeah. does um how does your older sister feel now that you have gone through, you know, your journey and finding out for yourself and doing what it needs, uh, what you need to do for yourself and her being, uh, I'm not quite ready for that yet. Um, has she had not necessarily a change of heart, but was she able to have a conversation with you and say, okay, I see you did it and it's not so scary. How can I go about yeah. it now? Yeah, to, to a certain degree. Her first response was, well, I don't have to do it because we got the same mother and father. So you and me and I'm you. <laughs> and I was just like, ma'am, it don't work that way. It you know what? Don't work. Quick sidebar, <laughs> I have to agree with sister because my older sister is allergic to shellfish. And when my other sister and I found out, we were like, well, we got the same mama, so we don't need to go figuring that out. We could. Yeah, okay. <laughs> No, that's, that is not how it works, y'all. And I told her that too. I was like, Lenise, we have different lifestyles. Like our environments are different. I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. But I was honest with her and like my like hesitation to do it. And honestly, when I first did it, when I actually did the blood on all that, I didn't tell her. Like I didn't tell her until after I had gotten the results, after I had spoken with the counselor and after I had had a chance to sit with it first. Um, and then I told her and we had that conversation of like, okay, like you, you did it. And I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, gave her the logistics of like, this is what happened. This is, you know, X, Y, Z. And I feel like she does feel a little bit better about it. I think again, like she does, it comes back to time and access. Right. Um, so for my sister, it's a, it's a matter of like time is making the time to go have a mammogram. And it's like knowing that like, hey, you do have one, you do need one um, and advocating for yourself when you go. 
Um, But also now, because I've done it, I'm like, hey, when you do go, I can send you my documentation. I can send you, you know, my results and all of that so that you can take that with you to your doctor and say, hey, I want a mammogram. I would like to undergo genetic counseling. And, you know, because a lot of times they do ask you, like, um, has anybody else had genetic counseling? Is there any results you can compare to or whatever? So I've had it done and I, I can get from my paperwork. And also our cousin who was diagnosed back in January uh, 2019, she's had genetic counseling done too. So I'm like, well, look, now you have two, you know, resources of information right. available to you to go and advocate for yourself. Um, so yeah, she's come around to the idea. Um, and also anytime I feel like it's, she says that she's going to do it and she doesn't, she still hasn't done it. So every once in a while, I'll just pop into like the family group chat at uh, one of our uncles, our aunts, and I'll just, you know, casually put out there. Um, Nisi hasn't had her mammogram yet. And I just <laughs> let the chips fall. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm gonna just walk out after, I'm gonna just throw this in here. Yeah, I'm just gonna Bye pop y'all. that bomb. <laughs> And some, you know, that has been a common thread in the conversations that I've had um, with the women that I've already spoken with is that sense of community and that sense of family that sometimes it takes that entire community to just, okay, let's everybody nudge this person to do what it is that not necessarily we think they should do, but it would help them if they do do it. Right. And it's, it's always a big deal because like my mom's sisters and brothers, they were there, you know, like my uncle recalls telling me, um, he was like, you know, one time like, your mom was like, I guess they're like a, or some type that she used. She took his hand. She was like, "No, Finny." She said, "Taja, your mom." Like, if you close, run your hands. Wow. So it, yeah, tossing that bomb in there, it it brings a lot of pressure her way, but it's necessary. <laughs> Definitely necessary. And um, how has community been beneficial to you in all of this and you know processing and before now moving forward um how has community sustained you um through it all um i i appreciate my community because they they give me the space to actually like sit with it like they don't crowd or like Hey, what are you feeling every you know minute of the day? Like they know me well enough. It's like we're we know that we need to give her space to sit with it, and then she'll express how she's feeling. And I love my friends who will literally like just let me cry if I need to. Um, or even my sister, like sometimes I may just call her and I just I'll just need to cry, and she won't ask me a bunch of questions. She just immediately knows, and she's just like, okay you know, what, you know, what is it, or, um, like, my dad, and, like, her siblings, and all of that, like, just giving me pieces of her, um, whether it be through story, or photo, 
like my dad and my mom were high school sweethearts. So they we have this whole photo album of like love letters and cards that they used to send each other when my dad first went into the service. And like just little things like that, which is probably why words of affirmation is not my love language, because like little things like that and just seeing that love that they have for each other. And then even like in my mom's own words, because you know, shortly before her death, she had like this notebook that she used to write things in while she was in the hospital. So she wrote each of us a letter. Um, and it's gotten to the point now, like I screenshotted the letter so that I can keep it in my phone because the the actual notebook now is like with my sister, but I remember like making a copy of it so I can always have a copy with me. And that's something that like, I look at like daily. Um, just even when I just need a reminder of like, if I'm feeling insecure, if I'm feeling, you know, like imposter syndrome or not prepared or anything like that, just reading those words of her calling me like her dreamer and her creator. And she's like, okay, I can do this. I got this. I'm, I'm gonna get through it. So yeah, community has been a great, a great help. My therapist is bomb. She be doing her job, job. Um, <laughs> She makes me confront all of the things that I, I don't want to, but like once we get through it and over it, it's just like, it's like a weight, you know, has been lifted. So community is very important in this process because it's very easy to get, you know, dragged down with the lows of like, when you think of all of like the terrible memories and just like, you know, the not so good times, um, so having a community, though, that can feed you the pieces that you've kind of lost over the years or even parts of, about your mom that you didn't know right. uh, has been really, like, beneficial for me. So I guess we can wrap it up here with this last question of, so what's next? What happens now? Um, you know, you've been given this information and you've been sitting with it and living with it and digesting it so what comes now you know what's the next steps what comes now is continued living and as I get older being more mindful of what I'm eating you know I actually went and had a physical today um and I've been living my life as like this five foot ten 175 pound candy bar that's what I thought she told me, <laughs> she was like, no girl, you five foot nine, 200 pounds. I said, Ooh, okay. Um, okay, you didn't have to be <laughs> negative about it, but okay. <laughs> like, okay. Um, so it's, you know, it's just being mindful of like those daily like decisions and being more intentional, like about my health, um, especially as I, as I age and like, I don't have children yet. I still want children. So being on top of like, my you know woman's health and going to the you know keeping up with my appointments um making sure all of my <laughs> my care team know about each other like hey this is you 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 like we're we're all here for me we are a team stay focused we right go team um <laughs> you know and it's just it's the continued healthy living and every day it's just practicing a mindfulness that like this is a gift, period. Like not just in the sense of, you know, my mom and like it's October. I'm like, man, you know, my mom didn't see 
October that year, but knowing that like it it is a gift and also just being grateful to God for it. Um, because no, like I didn't get to grow up with my mom, but like every time I turn around, someone's like, oh man, you look just like your mom or you have your mother's eyes. Like, and just constantly hearing that affirmation is like, that's how I know that God loves me because even though my mom wasn't here, he still left a piece of her for me. Right. So, yeah. And that piece of her is you. And ain't that lovely? Look look at God working it out. (laughs) Working it out. So that's all of the questions that I have for you today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm just awed and enamored and just so happy (laughs) that you women want to share your stories with me. So I absolutely, absolutely am grateful. Um, thank Listen, you. Like I, like I said, I'm always, always going to tell Monica's story, always. Right. Like, because there, there are so many women out there that like are going through this on a daily basis, and they, especially as Black women, feel invisible. Like no one sees, no one hears, and it's like, nope, your daughters are watching, and we're we're going to tell your story for you. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So let me go ahead and stop our recording now. Hello, and welcome back to the Public Health IV podcast. Hope you're having a great time of day and in the most comfortable space while listening in. On this episode of the Beyond the Ribbon series, I had the pleasure of chatting with another good friend, Taja Stansel. Taja is a brilliant chemistry professional who has watched her mom's journey with breast cancer from a bird's eye view. Listen in as she talks about how the journey of outliving her mother has impacted her own growth and knowledge. 